Hello, everyone. My name is Chetan Bhatt, and I'm director of the Center for the Study of Human Rights at the LSE, and I'm very delighted to welcome you this summer evening on this very important event on what's happening in Turkey. And this is, of course, about the momentous events that started in late May and which have spread throughout the country as mass protests and strikes uh, continue in opposition to the current regime. And this event is intended to explore from a number of perspectives how we might understand what's happening in Turkey, what these events mean for political organization and for new forms of politics, new forms of political culture that are concerned with the broader questions around human rights, around dignity, social justice, and perhaps other things, new languages, new political languages that aren't encapsulated within those terms. And we're also going to be considering where these events are likely to lead. I want, first of all, to introduce to you the speakers for tonight, and then I'll explain the format of the event, which will be a little different from the usual LSE human rights events. Firstly, can I introduce, and uh, you have to look very carefully at the screen, uh, in the top right-hand corner, you'll see Dr. Zeynep Gambetti, who is joining us from Turkey via a Skype connection. Uh, I promise you we will enlarge her face <laughs> soon enough. And uh, welcome, Dr. Gambetti. Dr. Gambetti is Associate Professor of Political Theory in the Department of Political Science and International Relations at Bogazici University in Istanbul, and she writes on the public sphere, the Kurdish movement in Turkey, neoliberal forms of violence, and alternatives to party politics. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. I know you can't see me, but uh, trust me, we can all see you. Zainab, during her talk, will be discussing how the first stage of the protest involving the pure form of the body and the politics of the body literally emerged and that the second stage uh, is uncertain and will involve the transition to other forms of political debate and political engagement. Another uh, speaker I want to introduce you today is Dr. Deria Bayer. She's the author of Minorities and Nationalism in Turkish Law, which was published by Ashgate in 2013 this year, so congratulations. She's sitting just in the middle. Deria has a doctorate from the Law Department at Queen Mary, the University of London, and her thesis was awarded a prize by the LSE for its quality. So congratulations again. <laughs> Dr. Bayou has litigated many cases before the European Court of Human Rights, including the prominent case of Guvetch versus Government of Turkey. And her interests include international human rights and minority rights, law and religion, the Turkish legal system, and the older forms of Ottoman pluralism. Deria will be talking about the Gezi Park incidents from the perspective of the Kurdish population and Kurdish politics. And she'll say also some words about the AKP's neoliberal policies and their effects on the environment and their relationship to environmental movements. And she'll also look at the destruction of religious and historical sites. Our next guest is sitting right here, Dr. Oslem Koskal. She's a lecturer in the film and television department in Bilgi University in Istanbul. Am I right in thinking you also received a prize for your doctorate? Yes. yes. So, first prize. First prize. Well done. 
And uh, Dr. Coxell received her doctorate from the University of London Birkbeck College, and this was a dissertation examining the relationship between collective memory, history, and cinema in Turkey. And she's the editor of World Film Locations, uh, published in Istanbul uh, in 2012. And uh, Dr. Coxell will talk about the graffiti and the artwork and visual forms of politics that emerged during uh, this recent period, and how people have uh, reappropriated the word chapulchu. You have to. Sort of pardon my Turkish pronunciation. I've had a quick briefing just before this event. Um, but also how penguins, which I can pronounce, uh, became one of the symbols of the uprising and what kind of slogans emerged and circulated. And she'll also be looking at how laughter and power against authority was used by the protesters. Now, her presentation, uh, I'd like you to be a bit patient in her presentation because it's going to involve uh, a lot of visual material, but I think it's essential for the kinds of points uh, that are being made and the kinds of politics that are emerging. And finally, sitting at the very end, is our very own Dr. Aicha Chubukchu, who is lecturer in human rights in the Center for the Study of Human Rights and the Department of Sociology at the LSE. And she writes on humanitarianism, liberalism and violence, as well as transnational politics, uh, the transnational politics of solidarity. And she works on international law and colonialism, human rights and radical theory. And Dr. Chubukchu will attempt to frame what's happening in Turkey from the perspective of democratic and radical theory and comment more broadly on some of the issues that are at stake. Now, as I said, this event is different from usual human rights uh, public events. Each of the speakers will talk for about seven minutes or so. After this, and after the panel has raised some general points within itself, there'll be, this will turn into an open forum in which people from the audience will also be asked to contribute to the discussion and to give their views on how we understand and contextualize what is happening in Turkey now. This event is being audio recorded, and uh, if the technology works, and remember there's quite a lot of technology going on today, we have Skype, we have visual material, we have PowerPoint slides and so forth. Assuming it all works, a podcast of this event will be available in the next few days. Now, can I also ask you to please turn your mobile phones to silent, and if during the event or after you want to comment using Twitter, the hashtag for the event is LSE Turkey, which is also displayed on the background slide. Can I ask Oslin to begin? Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I would like to begin by thanking uh, Professor Chetambat and um, Dr. Aito Chubutu for organizing uh, the event and inviting us. How does this go to sludge? Okay. No. Uh, full screen. Yes, Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, this is just a, um, a conversation. Um, I decided to begin with this. Uh, it circulated on um, social media, which says uh, somebody asks, is it safe over there? And then the person responds, no, there's police there. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's reality, but it's also funny. Um, so I don't have um, a well-formed analysis, obviously, because it's still happening, of what I want to say. Uh, what, um, but I'm going to offer my thoughts on, as, as Im images started pouring in, as I, as I was watching what was happening, um, for the first few days of it, I was in London, then I went back and uh, being asked myself, so um, 
I, I've been thinking about a few things. Uh, in addition to being angry uh, with the police brutality, I was, um, there, there were three um, scholars that I kept thinking about. One of them was uh, Walter Benjamin, uh, and his, uh, when he said uh, history breaks down into, Im- into images, not into stories. He, said, he says this in the arcade project. I was thinking about this sentence a lot. Um, I was also thinking about Raymond Williams uh, and his concept of structure of feeling. Um, and um, he offers this term to help us understand the changing social and cultural practices that do not fit into or um, are not properly explained by the already established forms and institutions. And the third scholar I've been constantly thinking about is Mikhail Bakhtin, who I will talk a bit more, uh, and his concept of carnivalesque and um, this power of laughter and how it kind of subverts um, the power of the authority. Um, but briefly what happened, on the 27th of May, uh, this small park, Gezi Park, um, construction uh, vehicles um, came to the park, removed five of the trees. Then protesters came in, small group of protesters, uh, and they wanted to protect the park by being there. On the 28th, more people arrived. I was there. Uh, in the evening, it was more crowded. On the 21st, by the way, on the 28th, police used pepper gas. Next day, police used pepper ga- gas. But this was kind of smaller uh, amounts of pepper gas compared <laughs> to the uh, following days. So we kept kind of going to the next level as in the computer game. Um, on the 20, uh, 31st of May, um, the, the biggest kind of um, attack happened uh, because while people were trying to... Um, um, make a press, press statement. Police, without warning, uh, sprayed pepper gas, and uh, one of the MPs, Sirisreya, and there was a kind of uh, injured, minor injury. But Lobna Lami uh, hit by the head and um, had to stay in intensive care for two weeks. So this, from then on, events escalated, uh, and it spread all over Turkey, uh, not only in Istanbul, in, in Mersin, in Ankara, in Izmir, in Eskişehir, in many other cities. And the Prime Minister continued to dismiss what was happening, and that kind of escalated the anger. Um, um, I well, forgot. Um, these are some of the iconic images of that, that kind of kept coming uh, during the events. These are people walking. This was the, on the first day that uh, this woman became a symbol of this protest. Um, these are some of the images that came out during the protest. Um, um, what happened after that? Um, well, while I was um, kind of paying attention to what was happening because I was here on the first few, in, during the first few days, I kept noticing noticing that um, um, like in the midst of all that pepper gas um, anger, um, all that was happening, incredible humor was coming out. People were making fun of what was happening, making, making fun of themselves, making fun of any political organization who wanted to kind of hijack what was happening. So constant humor, and I thought it was amazing, amazing creativity. So um, I started collecting images, uh, slogans, written graffitis, um, um, graphic works, um, videos, etc. 
Um, uh, and I'm going to show you um, some of them in a minute. Um, but a few words about Bakhtin. Sorry if I'm mm. rushing, because I want to speak less and show more images. Um, what Bakhtin says about Carnival, Carnival, Carnivalesque is that it's kind of... It, um, it, demin it destroys social hierarchies, the established hierarchies. Um, it brings people... Um, together in a different sense, it, it kind of, it forces and, and, and asks for a different kind of communication, it creates its own language, and he also talks about this uh, power of laughter. Um, he says something important that I'd like to say before um, reading a long quote um, from him about laughter, but he says um, official versions of these carnivalesque events, when they're organized officially, these events assert the stable, the unchanging, and the perennial. So when we have these official or organi officially organized events, this um, um, destroying the hierarchy aspect of these events disappears. So maybe later to talk about, we can compare it to how um, Erdogan organized its own gatherings and how they were officially organized and they had order, so they didn't have the same kind of maybe power. Um, but what Bakhtin says about laughter is that it is precisely laughter that destroys any hierarchical distancing, uh, any hierarchical distancing and valorized distance, as, well, it should be distant. As a distant image, a subject cannot be comical. To be made, to be made comical, it must be brought close. Laughter has the remarkable power of making an object come, come up close, um, of has the um, has the remarkable power of making an object come up close, of drawing it into zone of crude contact, where one can finger it familiarly on all sides, turn it upside down, inside out, peer, peer at it from above and below, break open its external shell, look into its center, doubt it, take it apart, dismember it, lay it bare, and expose it, examine freely and experiment with it. Laughter demolishes fear, MPT before any object, before a world, making of it an object of familiar contact and thus clearing the ground for an absolutely free investigation of it. I won't read the rest. But for me, what's important is that how it kind of makes the um, power um, kind of powerless and also how it makes fear disappear. And we, we've seen this, and I've heard this. People say this over and over. They say, we learn how not to fear. Um, so the images that started coming out. Uh, this is uh, okay. This is why why penguins became a symbol of the event because on first of June, where hell broke loose, where almost Taksim almost uh, was almost literally burning, uh, CNN um, Turk decided to show um, um, penguin documentary. So people um, well first got angry, then started using penguins as symbols. These are some of the images that use penguins uh, as the kind of symbol of these protests. He's wearing a gas mask. And this says uh, um, Arctics are resisting. Then the word chapeling, chapel well, Jew first. Um, Prime Minister used the word chapel Jew to actually uh, dismiss the protesters. He said these are a bunch of chapel Jews, which kind of means Luther's. Um, um, but people reappropriate the term and um, they started um, using the word chopulju for them, themselves and using it uh, in their graffitis 
This is uh, merging chapulju, chapuling. Now it's a word uh, with penguins. Uh, this is. Um, are you chapuling to me? Um, Toma driver. Toma is a keyword. This is a, this is the name of a big vehicle that is a water cannon, but kind of updated version of water cannon, who can, which can uh, actually go over barricades. And this is Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> and this is every day. If we have time, I'll show um, a video for that, but I kind of want to go quickly. Uh, there's a video um, for, for, like, they, they made a song. Um, this is Every Day I'm Chaplin. The song is called Every Day I'm Chaplin. This was the video. And these are some of the graffitis that... Um, okay, so you shouldn't have banned that last beer, mate, because of the alcohol regulation. Um, this is another video I want to show, which is, um, it might actually link to Zeynep's talk. In this video, the crowd um, says, um, as if it's a kind of football game, we bar gazu ole, pepper gas ole. Um, this is what if it hit, uh, where I had operation on. <laughs> I'm not saying don't spray, you can always spray as a hobby. This is like <laughs> making fun of this, you know, they're subjected to... I don't know if, uh, any, if any of you have been pepper gas before, but it's, it's hard. First five minutes, it's really bad. Um, but then, you know, after the five minutes, I don't know, somebody thinks, okay, I'm going to make fun of it, and they write these things on the walls. Resist iPhone charge, because they had to uh, document the event. Uh, we are soldiers. I don't know if anyone gets the connection, but uh, people wanted to say, we are Mustafa Kemal soldiers, the Kemalists wanted to uh, said uh, they are Mustafa Kemal soldiers by taking part uh, in this event. And the youth said, no, we are Mustafa Kesar soldiers, who is a singer <laughs> in Turkey. This is a footballer. They said the solution is Drogba. has nothing to do with any of this. Uh, enough is enough. I'm calling the police. Uh, this is one of, one of the favorites of everybody. It says, down with some of the things, like... No, I don't know, really. Uh, design uh, says it has Taib Erdogan's picture with a kind of um, uh, symbol of AKP. This is very hard to translate. Uh, famous singer, iconic. Um, and this is a kind of changed, uh, one of his songs changed according to events. It's music in red against anti-right vehicles, I stand. Um, translation doesn't do justice. Uh, this is, um, you know how they've been vandalizing, they <laughs> This is how they turn one of the bus stops into a new thing, like, you know, curtains and area to sit. Um, this is, um, well, the, the kind of illustrate the carnivalesque uh, look of inside Gezi Park. This is inside Gezi Park after it was occupied, after police withdrew. They didn't, uh, they didn't um, attack Gezi Park itself. The kind of... Um, Protests continued in other, other parts of Istanbul and other cities, but Gezi Park itself was kind of peaceful for a few days. And this is how it was inside and around. Uh, one of the things Bakhtin says that people uh, do things um, they, they wouldn't otherwise do. Um, and this is a perfect illustration, uh, one of the illustrations of it. Um, okay. To me, this is one of the images that says history doesn't uh, break down into stories, but into images. 
Here's another one. History doesn't, doesn't break down into stories, but into images. I don't know how to explain this image, but it kind of explains itself. And this is how they make uh, a gas canister, and this is a kind of room spray. <laughs> and this is one of the iconic images that, you know, they kept calling the protesters as marginals, bunch of marginals, like a bunch of marginals. <laughs> And um, that's it. Do we have time for a video? Do you want to yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to show the pepper gas ole. Yes. Thank you uh, very much indeed. And I think uh, actually looking at the responses of the audience, uh, which was laughter at the weapons of state violence, <laughs> says something in itself, yeah, which is quite important, I think, in, in thinking about politics. Um, Dr. Gambetti has been waiting very patiently in Istanbul, so can I invite Dr. Zainab Gambetti to speak to us next? Thank you. Sorry, okay. I wasn't quite ready. Hang on a second. Yes. Hi. Okay, Hi, so hello everybody. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Right. I mean, this is so This is the first time I'm doing this. I'm so <laughs> feeling a bit awkward, but we get, you need to get used to technology, I guess, because that's how this um, revolution happened in Turkey, right? So um, I'll be talking about a couple of things that were um, sort of floating around in my mind as I participated in the events in Taksim, I actually live in Taksim, and so it was not just a matter of, of participating in events, but going to and fro uh, from my house to anywhere else, right? So I was in the middle of um, what was happening. And um, the reason why I wanted to talk about body politics is, um, as Lem expressed this already, actually, is because we're having a lot of trouble trying to name these events, trying to understand 
them in terms of our, our familiar concepts of political science or just common sense, right? And there have been many um, sort of attempts to categorize the events. Some have talked about, you know, the Turkish Spring, but that doesn't quite fit these events because um, the, the uprising, the anger wasn't directed against a, a, a sort of dictator. Uh, it was, it happened in a more or less formal democracy, right? with a thriving civil society. So it wasn't in Turkish spring. Then people started talk, to talk about Occupy Wall Street. Well, it wasn't about Occupy Wall Street. It wasn't against finance capital directly, although indirectly it has to do with it. And I guess Daria is going to talk about that um, in a while, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I just wanted to <clears throat> describe... Um, how I felt um, as a body uh, participating in uh, the Gezi events and being gassed uh, or chased. Um, because what was impressive, what was, what was really surprising was that um, after the 31st of May, when the first um, real serious intervention happened, we found ourselves... Um, on Twitter, Facebook, um, and the few TV channels that weren't showing penguins, right? Um, there were three channels that were not showing penguins. Um, so we, I, I was zapping through all three of them. Um, on Twitter, on Facebook, that was where we were getting most of the information, or, or all of the information, basically not sleeping, and waking up four hours later, rubbing our eyes, and then taking to the streets again, knowing that the police will attack. Now, I'm not a courageous person. I'm really not courageous. I mean, I've never faced police before in my life, right, directly. But, and that was the case for all of the people around me. The, the odd thing was that I was going out to face the police with these makeshift masks that didn't protect us in any way, right? They were really makeshift. Um, and we were swarming, uh, literally swarming, um, the public places, streets, the Gezi Park, uh, without being coordinated by anything else than our individual um, thoughts and uh, consciousness, right? Um, and um, this sort of um, built up each day. Each day we would look into the streets, see other bodies walking, and then want to join them. That was, that was the sort of elan. I mean, that was why we went out on the streets, because others were going out. And the more and more people were getting together, the more and more we had a sense of direction. Um, the slogans were telling us what to do, but there were no words accompanying, no speech accompanying these bodily movements, this, this dynamism, if you like. Um, and I guess it made me think um, with uh, and against Judith Butler's um, concept of vulnerability. Because we were all vulnerable um, to violence. Um, and it's, it was not only about pepper gas, as you know, pepper gas was being shot through with, with these canisters, 
that could actually take your eye out. And that was what happened to um, a lot of, um, unfortunately, a lot of protesters lost an eye. A lot of uh, protesters got the canisters in their heads, so they had fractures in the bones. So it's not just about being sprayed, but it was, there was also the possibility of being hit. Um, so we were all vulnerable, and that we uh, were just bodies, because I did not know who the body next to me was. Ideologically speaking, I didn't know if he or she um, was a Kemalist or a nationalist or a, um, yeah, a football fan, um, an ultra, a, an orthodox Marxist or anything. Um, so no words or speech actually um, accompanied this movement, but I was, and others were also, um, grouping together in order to reduce our individual bodily vulnerabilities. That was, that was a sort of collect, collective power that was astonishing for me, because I am um, uh, an admirer of Hannah Arendt, very much inspired by Hannah Arendt. And I have been, um, you know, um, thinking that collective action must be accompanied by speech um, and cannot be just deed. This, uh, I also had this fear of mob violence, right, which was also happening in Turkey before uh, the Gezi events began because um, in, um, from 2005-2006 onwards, we had a series of lynching attempts uh, by mobs, some of them identified, some of them very spontaneous, um, who wanted to stop um, different voices, dissident voices from being heard in public places, acting as police, but not, not belonging to the police force, acting as judges, but not belonging to um, the judiciary. So we have had uh, sort of more politics, if I can say. But this was not the same thing. <clears throat> and I guess it was the overdetermined nature of the Gezi Park protests that left us speechless. It was overdetermined because, of course, we knew it wasn't about trees. We knew it wasn't just about a park, but it was also about trees and a park. It was about the city, but it wasn't just about the city. It was about the way neoliberal capitalism is confiscating public spaces, but also livelihoods, um, confiscating people's life choices. Um, it was about how a neoconservative government could ally um, the powers of religion, um, sort of spiritualism, um, this sort of mystified symbolism, in order to cover up the fact that it was privatizing everything under the sun and commodifying everything under the sun. So um, I guess um, Erdogan compares more to... Uh, Putin or, or George W. Bush 
than to Mubarak, right? Uh, Neolib, neocon alliance. So it was all about all of these, but we couldn't put words to why we were out there, um, except for demanding um, the, the police to move out of Taksim, Gezi Park, uh, that the Gezi Park remain a park. Um, so these were reactions, we were reacting, but on the active side, we were demanding, or people were demanding, something as abstract as freedom. Özgürlük was the, the catchphrase, was the, the main basic slogan. But what does freedom mean, right? It was also overdetermined. It was an empty signifier. It could mean everything. Um, everybody could find identified to that word, right? Um, so basically it was an in-between, a solidarity formed between bodies, um, that were sort of opposing the confiscation of their voice and therefore were voiceless, but were demanding freedom. And it was, in a way, very stylized. I mean, Islam perfectly showed how stylized these whole um, events were in the midst of very scary moments, actually. Um, it was very, a very... Um, spatial and bodily uh, resistance um, of people, individuals that were vulnerable, that, but that were turning their vulnerability into an ability through their staying power. And in that sense, I sort of diverge from <clears throat> Judith Butler's um, sort of analysis in that it was not vulnerability per se that brought us together, but this feeling of strength of, that emerges from being together. Um, and I want to think think out loud with you, basically. I really, I really don't know how to analyze this um, very clearly and at a distance, because it's only been a week that I'm out of Istanbul now. And like Islam was saying, I actually do smell the pepper gas sometimes. I sort of get the impression that I'm being sprayed again. But um, this is one point I would like to discuss with you, throw out there um, for general discussion. The second point is <clears throat> the second phase of the protest, if I may say, that involves more talking Speech has now entered <coughs> the um, this sort of scene of action. Um, maybe because uh, the bodies have been frustrated, are tired, have been moved out of the park, the Gezi Park, uh, or the Kula Park in Ankara. Let's not forget that the protests are taking place in almost 70 cities in Turkey, all over Turkey. Um, so people have been moved out of the main parks, but they are getting together in parks um, in different neighborhoods, this time to hold uh, sort of forums, debates. And this is a very interesting phase. 
And as a good Arantian, I would have said, this would be the real foundation of a democratic movement. If ever it will become a truly democratic movement, it needs to be accompanied by discussion and debate. But now that speech is um, being used, that um, protesters are talking with each other, there are two things happening. On the positive side, of course, uh, there uh, there are the distinctions taking place between the different protesters. We are no longer just bodies, but we are religious, atheist, Kurd, Turk, right? Alevi Sunni, uh, nationalist, communist. So we are distinguishing ourselves from each other. But on the other hand, the ideological fault lines that have always been used by power structures risk creeping in and dividing. Uh, the unity that was formed in solidarity against the police. Um, so, basically, the how this will evolve, for me, is uncertain, although I am very hopeful, and that is also maybe something we can discuss. I am very hopeful because the protests were accompanied by so much humor, and because... Um, uh, there has been so much that has come out of the Pandora's box that now it became impossible to ignore that, for instance, for 30 years, the Kurds were facing um, worse treatment than the Gezi protesters, that Alevis um, were denied their right to um, have their... Um, temples, the Jemevi, uh, which are not mosques, the Alevi um, Muslim population in Turkey, um, that they uh, are denied their right to um, have their temples or praying um, uh, spaces officially recognized. Um, And that uh, democracy is not just about majoritarianism, and that the economic miracle, Turkey's economic miracle, basically uh, has had its flip side, which meant that it has cost um, a, a, a lot of um, wasting of resources, the confiscation of livelihoods, as I said, uh, job insecurity, uh, uh, flexibility is, you know... Um, the catchword, um, and uh, uh, strict labor control, strict labor union control in Turkey so that the economic miracle is a miracle by virtue of the repression of working class rights. Okay, so I'm going to have to... Um, on the table now, so I would really like to discuss these with you. And um, thanks for making this happen. very much indeed for your uh, extremely stimulating intervention. I was struck by the themes of uh, the body and its vulnerability 
and freedom, as well as violence and uh, spectacle, and what those might mean. Uh, can I move on to our next speaker, Dr. Daria Baye? Um, thank you. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you really very much uh, for organizing this uh, important event from my point of view. Uh, thanks to each other. Can you hear me? I chat. Sorry. I'll try to speak a little bit louder. Mm -hmm. um, the decade-long uh, political sta stability under uh, AKP rule in Turkey has been shaken during the last weeks, last few weeks, since the start of uh, the Gezi Park protests. These events are unprecedented in Turkey's history and found support from various parts of society. Parts of society. Perhaps the uh, nearest example in living memory was a campaign called One Minute of Darkness for Eternal Light uh, fo following a historic incident in, 2000, uh, in 1997. One can mention many reasons behind uh, these incidents uh, at Hazy Park. Um, I will only concentrate on some. As, uh, as stated, as stated uh, by most of the protesters, according to a recent survey, one of the main reasons was ex uh, excessive police brutality, which shocked the ordinary majority in the west, uh, western part of, parts of Turkey, who had never experienced this before. Perhaps we should uh, exempt those marginal socialist organizations, trade unions, Kurds, etc., who have always experienced these types of police brutality in every part of the country. Another reason for Gezi Park's domino effect was that the protesters' initial demand was so legitimate, so right, concentrating on, on the right to environment and the right to, right to the city. In my view, Gezi Park should also be re uh, read together with the various local environmental resistance initiatives which have developed over the years against the AKP government's neoliberal politics policies, uh, especially in the field of energy and mining. In particular, while co uh, causing resentment among many people and the AKP's conscious proof attitude towards the destruction of environment, uh, the local habitat, historical and religious sites, etc., has also made them to develop a mobilization culture. On the other hand, the authoritarian, marginalizing, anti-democratic and the paternalistic language used by uh, Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan should be highlighted as contributing factors to the ripple effect of these incidents. In particular, the increasing discontent around the AKP's ambitions for social engineering in line with its Islamic conservative worldview in the last few years should also be highlighted. In my view, it was these very basic, very humanistic reasons uh, which brought Gezi Park's imperfect crowd together with its varying political and social, socio-economic background and demands. While this imperfectness is one of the good side of uh, the Gezi Park protesters, it was also it, it was also it is weakness. It was good because it brought various uh, people together who could never be thought of as being on the same platform with the demands for democracy. On the other hand, the varied demands and attitudes of the Gezi protesters was also a weakness 
Despite some common ground on few issues to protect the green, to protest against the AKP's authoritarian practices and discourse, protest against police brutality, etc., the political demands of this group wasn't greatly overlapping. Even the democracy they chanted about didn't have the same meaning for all. Perhaps this is the main reason for violent incidents, albeit rare, um, which were witnessed during this demonstration, mostly targeting the Kurds and the BDP buildings. At this point, one should also talk about the Kurds and their reaction to Gezi. The Gezi Park incidents didn't mobilize the Kurds to, to come onto streets in a way we were accustomed to see on the street of the Africa. Nevertheless, they were still on the streets, uh, on the streets from the beginning. Despite this, the Kurds were criticized by many for their weak support for Gezi, as well as followed from the, uh, as we all follow from the uh, social media. However, we know that uh, BDP was one of the organizations uh, forming the uh, Taksim platform, and we know the rules. Um, we know the rules and support from some BDP parliamentarians from the beginning. We know also support of uh, messages from Ejelan, uh, the PKK leader, and the KJK, which is a, a PKK organization, um, and uh, the BDP for Gezi. We know that support demonstrations took place in different parts of Kurdistan, in Diyarbakir, Van, Mardin, and in other cities. Uh, in Dersim, this demonstration lasted for days and days. And one can ask, uh, then the question is, you know, one can ask whether it is really fair to call all this sport as we, uh, all this as weak sport. On the other hand, we know that the overwhelming feeling among Kurds towards Gezi protesters was to get recognition and empathy from the Turks for their long sufferings, for the injustice they have been subject to. Further, both Kurdish politicians and the ordinary Kurds were very alert not to allow this movement to turn into anti-peace process demonstrations and affect the peace process, and rightly so. Perhaps along the way, these overwhelming feelings and uh, uh, concerns have always, uh, haven't always been articulated perfectly by some Kurds, particularly in the social media, um, which needs to be, uh, from my point of view, criticized. But still, I think the efforts aiming to undermine the Kurd support for Gezi Park uh, should be uh, handled with caution as well. Uh, I don't want to so much go on in the, uh, the, the, you know, uh, the detail, uh, and that's why I, I just want to cut my uh, you know, speech very short, but I, I want to finish it with with the funny story, actually, uh, in line with the spirit of Gezi Parker. Um, and I'm hoping that this funny story will sum up the situation well. Uh, when the uh, Meshrutiate, we all know, the second uh, constitutional monarchy was declared in Ottoman Empire in 1908, one Sunni imam, one Orthodox priest, and one Alevi dede go onto the, uh, go onto the street uh, to, in order to explain the, uh, the people goodness of the new regime. Then they see a beautiful wine, uh, vineyard and they start eating the grapes. Then the owner of the vineyard, who is Turkish Sunni Muslim, uh, caught them, angrily comes with, uh, towards them with a huge stick in his hand. He first beats the priest, 
saying, how dare you to eat my grape, you kafir, uh, you are not even Muslim. The priest faints, and then the imam, and then they just watch him and don't do anything. And then the owner attacks the dede while saying, how dare you to eat my grapes, you are not Sunni, you are not a Turk. And obviously the imam stands there and doesn't do anything. And he faints as well. And then the owner starts to beat up the imam, saying, you are from my religion, you are a Turk, why didn't you stop these kafirs? And then he goes away, while imam priests and the dede lay, uh, lay on, the, on the ground, half conscious. Dede asked the imam, where did we go wrong? Imam says, we shouldn't have allowed him to beat the priest. And I'm hoping that these incidents, while make the Turks to be aware of the mistakes made in the past by remaining silent, not questioning anti-democratic system and practices in the country. Mm -hmm. I'm also hoping that the Kurds will see fine line between while being too concentrated on their suffering, they might miss what's happening to the priests. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Daria. And can I move on to our last speaker, who is Dr. Aisha Jabukchu. Thank you, Aisha. Um, first of all, first of all, many thanks to our speakers and to you all for coming tonight, for making time for this. Hopefully, uh, after I speak, we're going to have a public discussion. So prepare your comments and questions, please. Uh, there's so much to say about the uprising in Turkey that it's been difficult to decide what I should concentrate on. Uh, but last week, I was in Istanbul, uh, only for a few days, unfortunately, but I did manage to get tear gassed and pepper sprayed. Uh, so I, I think I have a glimpse of what Zeynep and Özlem have been describing as this bodily experience of um, uh, state terror, basically. Um, and I, but I don't want to concentrate on that quite yet. I want to make five points. And I want to begin with the experience of the people's forums. Uh, perhaps we should emphasize that after the protests on the streets, uh, and actually during them, um, people started constructing people's forums in their neighborhoods. So in their local parks, um, sometimes a couple hundred people in the particular forum that I went, a couple thousand people were gathering around an amphitheater in very much like the World Social Forum uh, and beginning to discuss politics with each other. So I was there for three nights in the Abbasa Park and what struck me uh, in what people were saying you don't have to be anybody, you can just speak, basically. It's like a circle, you sit around and you take turns and you express whatever you want to express. Um, no leaders, nothing. It's just an open forum with a facilitator slash moderator. And what I heard there expressed over and over again uh, was a celebration, a celebration of the end of a certain kind of alienation that citizens of Turkey were feeling towards each other. So it was celebrating the end of alienation among fellow citizens. People very much appreciated the chance not only to speak to each other, but to hear each other. So you had um, former voters of the 
AKP, uh, coming out, so to speak, <laughs> and making confessions as to why they had changed their minds, why they're no longer supporting the AKP. You had polit you know, seasoned political activists coming out and admitting how they were not prepared for, um, for the kinds of mobilizations that took to the streets. And you had people planning very concre concretely what they could do in their neighborhoods, uh, how they could reclaim public space. So from the m most miniature kind of intervention in public spaces to uh, wild imaginaries about how Turkey and even humanity should run itself, so to speak, uh, the forums have been a very important part of the kind of uprising we've been seeing um, in Turkey. In Istanbul alone, there are close to 40 public forums in parks across the city, and many other cities uh, also are holding nightly forums where people come together late into the night, by the way, uh, very late into the night. People just leaving work and flooding the forums. Um, so what I saw there, uh, and I've been trying to observe uh, the uprising on Facebook and Twitter, and it's bizarre that you don't actually have to be there in some sense. You know, Sleeping four hours a night, you can keep on Facebook for 20 hours a night, and you can have a sense of what's happening, um, except the bodily part. <laughs> so what I saw was not only a desire to be taken into account by the Turkish government, by the AKP government, but also a more active desire to reorganize social, political, and cultural life. So people didn't simply want wanted to be taken into account, but they actively wanted to reorganize their own political lives for themselves, by themselves, for themselves and by themselves. What I saw, in other words, was not merely a demand from the AKP government to do this or that. Um, Often this desire expressed itself outside of existing party structures, um, it wasn't simply an appeal to political parties to do this or that either. I think this is very, very important. And in this sense, we can say that what we are witnessing in the forums is an ex experimentation with direct democracy. Okay? Um, and many people have said that I'm not saying something original here. But what I want to highlight in that is... Um, if you want to get theoretical, you can say the subjectification of the citizens of Turkey, the sense people embody that we are the people we've been waiting for. It's a do-it-yourself kind of attitude. Um, it's, it's, it's a determination to stop making demands on others and to do whatever you want to do um, by organizing with others. So um, the second point I wanted to make was that um, in my interpretation, what we've been seeing through the uprising, in the uprising, is an epistemic break. Okay, It's an epistemic break. And I'll try to explain what I mean by that. Um, I think what we witnessed is a rupture of sorts in people's understandings of reality. 
arena. And there were two elements to this. One is because of the media blackout uh, on the uprising, uh, the images that Özlem shared, and the active promotion of penguins instead of uprising citizens and all that, uh, as well as the lies that were told by the Erdogan government, uh, basically made people question the sense of reality, political reality, that they had been inhabiting not only over the past month, but over the past several decades. So when they started questioning the media, uh, they weren't only questioning what they were reporting over the last month, but they, many people started entertaining the possibility that perhaps on the Kurdish question, uh, what they had been shown as reality, as the truth, may not have been the case. The second part of the epistemic break, I think, uh, relates to the state violence um, that people experienced. As Zeynep said, uh, many, many people confronted the police for the first time in their lives. Okay? And what did this, I think, what the experience of confronting the state in bodily form uh, did is to, um, to uh, construct a common ground where other whereby uh, when other seasoned activists, say belonging to the Kurdish movement, are confronting the police, you're not automatically choosing the side of the police. Do you know what I mean? I think it's pretty clear. So images of protesters clashing with the police no longer sig signified the same thing. So this epistemic experience of confronting the police also opened up, I think, a, a, the possibility of a new reality shared by the uprising citizens of Turkey. Um, so I want to say that this experience of being at the receiving end of state violence then prompted the formation of a new consciousness, um, which, for one, made more and more people question the paradigms of security that they had been fed over the years. And these two elements of reality or ruptures in the interpretations of reality, I want to say, precisely these ruptures are where, hopefully, if there is hope, new solidarities can be forged among different political groups and among diff you know, even individuals who don't belong to any political party. I think this epistemic rupture holds the possibility for new grounds and new experiences of solidarity, for example, over the Kurdish question. Um, I want to highlight at that moment the importance of raising questions and raising problems that we uh, when I say we, I mean citizens of Turkey, but uh, you can also include yourself. I'll come to that, uh, perhaps. Um, the, difficulty, the difficult questions then in an effort to um, 
constitute this common ground, I don't think they're to be ignored, but we have to confront them head on because there's been a tendency to keep difficult questions, what Zeynep uh, called ideological phase two, ideological differences, sort of at bay, as if they would divide us, as if they would destroy the beauty and the humor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, in my opinion, no, they're to be confronted now and there to be confronted if we are to build uh, movements with lasting effects. And in that process, I think the key is not to wait for the leadership of this or that party to make an official statement, but to do that construction work, the construction of a common ground, the confrontation of difficult questions about Turkish nationalism or the Kurdish movement, uh, everything you can think of in a grassroots fashion. And this is, that inclination is what I saw in Istanbul, except for the Kurdish question, which wasn't quite raised at Abbasa. And that is a very important exception that says a lot about the so-called rule. Um, I, fourth, I want to say something about the international aspect of this. Um, how many of you have liked something on Facebook relating to the uprising in Turkey? How many of you? Yeah. How many of you have shared information over Facebook or things like that? How many of you are not from Turkey? Okay, all right. So, you know, even statistically speaking in this room, we have many, many people in the diaspora outside of Turkey who have mobilized, as well as non-Turkish citizens, non, I don't like that term, but non-citizens of Turkey, let's say, who have mobilized uh, in solidarity with the uprising in Turkey. I think we've seen in a spontaneous but organized mobilizations all across from New York to San Francisco all the way to Australia. And I think th this mobilization, this international solidarity mobilization has been rather unprecedented. Perhaps on that account, uh, I want to bring the second aspect of internationalism into this. If you've listened to the discourse of Erdogan and AKP party officials, one of the terms that they use most often is the concept of a foreign agent. Um, so what the Erdogan government has been promoting is not only a... a, a, a um, you know, the figure of the foreign agent, to give concrete examples, if you don't believe me, uh, read the BBC statement on uh, their journalist, BBC uh, Tur Turkey journalist, who's been targeted by the mayor of Ankara, uh, basically as a foreign agent. You've had Erasmus exchange students being arrested, uh, being detained in Turkey. You've had many migrants, um, expats living in Turkey attacked. And you've had citizens of Turkey with so-called foreign connections uh, targeted and threatened, okay, including perhaps us. <laughs> and you've had uh, journals like Jadelia uh, and other kinds of publications being targeted as part of an international conspiracy to bring down the Turkish government. Now, uh, I want to say 
uh, why this emphasis on an international conspiracy? Why the emphasis on foreign agents? I think the effect of this discourse, uh, what it tries to do is to dismiss to dismiss the agency of the people in Turkey and their determination to change, uh, to change things, basically, in Turkey. So what it says is that it's not the citizens of Turkey, it's not my people who is objecting to the government, but there's an international conspiracy and you have foreign agents doing this. So it tries to take away the agency and hence the significance and the power of the movements on the ground. Lastly, the last uh, point I want to make relates uh, to something um, Zeynep said about fear. Now, it is very difficult to understand, if you're not in that situation, how many protesters in Ankara uh, and Istanbul and long before um, Kurdish activists have felt, what does it mean to go to a protest and you fear for your life? You know, what does it mean that you fear that your head may be cracked, that you may be beaten down, and you might actually die? Um, as you know, at least four people have died, four protesters have died, and more than 8,000 protesters have been wounded. So when you go onto the streets to protest, you're actually risking your life. Um, but as many commentators have noted, the threshold of fear, we say, how do I transliterate? has been overcome. So people started not being afraid. I'm not sure if that's true because uh, as opposed to Zeynep, I thought I was a courageous person. But then when the police started attacking last Saturday, a peaceful protest with pepper spray and water cannons, I just chickened out, basically. I wanted to run away, and my, I wanted to run away. I wanted to escape while thousands of people kept and, you know, they didn't run away. So my respect actually turned into awe for people keeping on the streets day after day, day after day. But the thing about fear, I think, from the perspective of the state is that the state fears most its own citizens losing their fear and becoming fearless. So the government tried many tactics to make people afraid again, which was to accelerate the level of violence. Um, but I also want to say part of the, the experience of freedom that Zeynep mentioned, I think, happened on the streets in that moment of uh, confrontation where people also felt a sense of political agency in the very act of defying the state. Um, the last point I want to make is about the violence that was unleashed. But what I want to underline is that the, the violence that the AKP government unleashed against the citizens of Turkey was legal violence. In many cases, they didn't even have to break the law to unleash the kind of violence um, that they did. So while, while the uprising in Turkey should make us rethink what a true democracy might mean, what a real democracy might mean, 
I think it should also prompt us to confront not the paradox, but the fact of legal violence. So from tear gas to pepper spray, which are legal, you know, there's a campaign to delegalize them, but they're legal. From internments in prisons to preventive and preemptive arrests, from the military to the threat and reality of legal persecution, which many activists are facing. So in other words, what we may have to question might be nothing less than what people call the rule of law as such. Thank you. Thank you, Aisha, very much. And uh, listening to that, I was wondering whether the end of alienation is the same as the beginnings of solidarity, and that's something maybe we can discuss. But I'd also like to thank all of our speakers for their excellent presentations, and we wish them well in terms of the real threat of violence that they face from the state. Before I open up to the audience and your contributions, I just wondered if the panellists wanted very, very briefly to respond to any of the uh, issues that have been raised by other members of the panel. Okay, great. Um, I will now open up the discussion uh, to the audience. Can I? Yeah, I know this room is extremely. This, this, just trust me. This room is extremely warm, and I have been trying very silently, but actively, to work out if there's any air conditioning in here. So we will open uh, the door. Unfortunately, there isn't any air conditioning, so we have to uh, remain warm. Uh, can I ask you if you have a question, if you could raise your hand and um, n say who you are and your affiliation, and please wait until you have a microphone uh, before you so that everybody can hear you and also uh, people who are listening to the podcast can hear you. Thank you. So who'd like to go first? I think there's a gentleman in the center, third row down, in the white shirt. Hi, good evening. My name is TJ Campbell, and I'm an American living in London, um, but absolutely love Turkey. Uh, and one thing that I've, I've been impressed by is, um, is, is how the different concepts all of you tonight have, have meshed together. I think it was a really extremely uh, engaging evening. Thank you. I, I've been surprised that there is so little mention, and there wasn't a mention today. I was sort of waiting of organized political opposition to the AKP, that, that they've been so silent, so invisible. Um, obviously, they're, they're a minority party and can't block anything that the AKP government is doing, um, particularly in this third term where they're more emboldened. Is there, is there hope that, that they catch up to the protesters on the streets of, of Turkey? Um, and, and the next general election is, what, next year, I believe? So is, is there some prospect that, that the AKP could be voted out in the next general election? Okay, and uh, that's a very good question. Uh, just before we come to that, there was somebody at the front who wanted to... Uh, actually, yeah, uh, I'm Prakash Shah from Queen Mary University of London. Uh, my question is very linked to the previous questioner's question, uh, which is um, uh, n none of the speakers directly mentioned... 
uh, the capacity of uh, the existing political framework within Turkey to respond to what's happening. Uh, and it seems like the official opposition, if there is one in Turkey, is also quite disabled in terms of having uh, a kind of creative response to, to what's happening. So it seems like part of the protest, uh, as an outsider, it seems to me like part of the protest is also about a kind of defunct political system or system of political ideas. Uh, although I'm not necessarily sure if direct democracy is, is the n necessary kind of consequence of that or whether it necessarily leads to that kind of thing. But um, th there is a kind of vacuum of, of thinking uh, which, which seriously needs to be addressed, I think, in Turkey. And I, I'm wondering from the panel in what direction you think that, that particular vacuum or, you know, how, or how that should be filled. Thanks. Okay, another interesting question. I'll just take uh, another one from here. Hakan Seçkin Um Thanks for the discussion, and I, I am one of those watching the events with great interest and thinking about these things without having a clear view in terms of what is happening. However, one thing which I sort of heard time and again is the the fact that this event, the moment, represents something new in various ways, epistemic rupture, solidarity being built, alienation is ended, etc. And I just don't know whether that's really happening. I mean, I think it would be quite important to see in the historic process. There were different moments. Play, people claimed spaces, particularly Taksim is, is an important space. And it has been claimed many times by various groups, various solidarity groups. Um, why this is different. And the second issue here is, well, again, one sort of theme seems to be the link between this space and these spaces being available to whoever wants to come out and, and build solidarity. Is this true for all groups? Are there those groups who cannot or don't want to come out? And we talked about um, various assortment of sort of identities um, around sort of Turkish Islam nationalists, etc., and Kurdish groups. But of course, I mean, this is also happening in the middle of uh, very strong religious minority communities. I mean, how do they feel? Armenians, Greeks, Jewish people, and we also have the events at the Hrantings funeral, of course which are a massive solidarity, um, sort of um, ref reflecting massive solidarity. So in that sense, um, I don't know whether we are carried away too fast with the events in terms of interpreting them. Thank you. Okay, and I just want to get some more contributions from the audience. There's a man, uh, David, if you could raise your hand. Hi, I'm David Madden from the LSE. Thank you for uh, this extremely informative discussion. I was just wondering uh, if you could talk a bit about the urban context in which this emerges, because one of the things you hear is that this is a response to transformations of urban space in uh, the center of Istanbul, not just uh, Taksim Square itself and, and Gezi Park, but, but a whole series of, of transformations happening around there that, that seems to be fueling this and that this seems to be sort of about these changes in some sense, so it would be great if you could speak about that. Thanks. Okay, and can I just, uh, there's a couple of people in the middle, and I would like to get their contribution. So if you could just raise your hands, please. 
And can I also say that in this forum, it's fine for you to respond to other people, not necessarily the panel. So go ahead. I just want to say um, I'm an emerging actor and a filmmaker, and I'm making a film about um, what was happening right now in Turkey. It's called Chapeling Movie. And the main idea is to make uh, the word chapeling an international word, um, which, which, which is also including uh, Brazil or all other countries which have people peacefully protesting. So like, if you want to find out, you can go to chaplingmovie.com. That's an advertisement. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. And there was somebody just uh, next, next to you. and. You, you don't want me to talk? No, no go ahead. Okay. Um, in an attempt to push back on something that I just said, I want to piggyback on the first two questions. Um, you said that people now want um, things done by themselves, for themselves, and are already organizing at a neighborhood scale. I'm wondering, what are the things I recognize, as wonderful as that may be, the limitations of that? So in addition to what the opposition can do, what are the things that need to be worked out with the government? Uh, people are talking about lowering the election. Um, what do you call it? Barrage. Threshold. Yeah, threshold. Okay. It's 10%. It's really high in Turkey. So, like, but I've never really heard anything that addresses all of the different um, dimensions of the problem, whether that be public-private ownership, whether that be urban planning, not being able to participate in it, whether that be you know, governance issues. So what, what do we do now? Okay, and if you could just pass the microphone along by two. Thank you. Can I talk or...? Yeah, please go ahead. We're waiting. Hello. We're all waiting. Um, well, uh, thanks for excellent, insightful presentations. Well, perhaps one of the reasons why the entire thing is taking place outside existing party structures is that there is no decent party to vote for. So I find it slightly problematic and a little bit dangerous, this sort of underestimation of the good old concepts of ideology, politics, class, and, and, and labor. I think this sort of watering down or diluting the concept of ideology is extremely dodgy. Although what triggered the movement was a group of people who didn't have strong political affiliations. One should remember the fact that the struggle was not only over Gezi Park, but it was also over Taksim Square and the rest of the city. And there were many established conventional, conven well, let's not say conventional, but there were many established leftist, socialist political organizations uh, in the square, and I myself saw people fighting in front of the barricades, and they are extremely strongly political, uh, politically, let's say, affiliated. So I think this sort of dichotomy between social movements, radical democracy on the one hand, and old-fashioned party union, this sort of dichotomy itself is problematic. It's extremely dangerous. I think we should just remember uh, Slavoj Žižek's critical analysis of the Occupy movement, which is extremely important. So this is one point. And the second point is, I think this is also an extremely useful way of confronting um, 
let's say, understanding the global context of what happened, but also confronting people like, for example, David Cameron, um, who is trying to convince world leaders to act against the dictatorial and brutal leader, al-Assad. But, you know, one should acknowledge the fact that there's no other dictatorial brutal leader in the region, the Prime Minister Recep Tayyip Erdogan. However, Cameron confined himself to saying that the events in Turkey were concerning and disturbing, but Turkey's progress overall is something that other countries have quite rightly looked up, up to. So he didn't, condemn, he didn't condemn brutal police violence. So what I'm saying is, I think we should address the global context of what's happening, and we should relate it to what's happening in the UK, in the States, and also in the so-called Middle East. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think uh, can we, that, that's a large number of themes and a very s interesting set of questions from, from the audience. So can I give the panel an opportunity to respond to some of them at least? Uh, and can I bring in uh, Dr. Gambetti, who's been waiting patiently? Hello, did you hear me? Zainab? Zainab? Oh, sorry. Very Yeah, is there anything uh, you'd like to respond to? Yeah. Um, oh, there's an echo. Anyway. Yeah. I could I start with the last question? I think that was that was a very important question and I really would like um us to discuss it as the panelists also because I don't know if I can I can be really I mean I am optimistic um to a certain extent, but uh when I was saying ideological, um I was referring to of course the the fractions, the different fractions that were taking part uh, in the protests and fighting at the barricades, and that's why I preferred using the word body, right? That's exactly why I called it a body politics, because it wasn't a politics of um, the left, but it wasn't a politics of the right either. It was football fans together with um, let's say, very orthodox Marxists, etc. Uh, so it's, um, that was what made, uh, that was what gave the, 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 the opposition strength and unity, in my opinion. And when I'm saying coming back to the ideological fault lines, I don't mean um, sort of old-style politics, but I um, want to emphasize that again. These are the fault lines that um, the power structures in place use in order to rule and divide, right? So, um, so it's it's not the Zizekian type of um, ideology. I, I was really referring to um, all the sort of divisions now that will be um, that that the Erdogan government will seek to uh, sort of um, use. Uh, in order to blur, the, in order to, to, to desolidarize people. And I, um, I really think we must start, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to myself as well, because I've been very impressionistic throughout the whole, um, you know, event. But um, now start thinking about uh, institutional structure, whether um, the party, available parties in Turkey are capable of addressing the new demands that are being made, whether or not um, 
uh, sort of um, the the there is a chance of changing the constitution, addressing, formulating all these demands into a, a, a permanent sort of um, political uh, movement or even party. So we should be thinking about all these, but I would also like to maybe respond by saying that most of the youth, not only in Turkey, but also, as you know, in Spain, in Greece, in the U.S., and now in Brazil, because we haven't um, been talking about what is happening in Brazil, where there is a a, a, a more or less youth-led movement also taking place against the government, that all of these movements are against a certain type of pol politics. And I, I really um, think Aicha made the point that party politics, the representative um, liberal institutions that we all based our hopes on, um, in order to provide for security for the citizen and a space of freedom, have not delivered their promises. So at the same time as we're talking about reform and institutional structures and possibilities of building a solid um, political mobilization out of these movements, um, which I believe is possible in Turkey, I think we should also at the same time um, question the sustainability of politics as we knew it, right? Um, but in any way, let me see. I want to hear what the other... Um, okay, and there was a, a very important set of themes. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for that. There was a very important set of themes that emerged around uh, how new is this and also who is left out of this process. What are the groups left out? Would uh, Daria or Oslim or Aisha like to respond? <laughs> I mean, from my point of view, it's it's new because it really uh, uh, mobilized many many different different people, and from the different like background, even the Islamists, like we saw some AKP people and and supporters in uh, Gezi Park here as well. That's why it's different, and also. The, uh, like uh, how it's like all of a sudden spread all over the country. Although you know AKP now says like you know it's a conspiracy. Like they 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 they've been planning this. I mean, some you know for some time. Um, uh, anyway, maybe there's a truth, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Maybe there's a truth, but still, like you know, then uh, he couldn't manage this conspiracy well. This is also a fact. You know, he could have like lowered the tension and then you know come out as the real leader, I don't know, with uh, more sports or something like that, but he couldn't. Um, I mean, the, 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 this movement was different from my point of view because it was so, like, their demand was so simple, so legitimate. Like, anybody, like, who, I don't know, go to Taksim will feel that, oh, my God, this place has so many, I don't know, shops and... Uh, I don't know, shopping centers, this and that, like, too crowded. And then there was a little bit, like, greenery and then, you know, green part, and then people, they wanted to, this to be, uh, stay uh, as it is. And, yeah, the, 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 I think the demand was so legitimate. 
And then maybe, yeah, this, you know, humor, this youth people they use was also attractive many people from my point of view. Um, yeah, and also I'm just think, thinking again, like in Turkey now, although, you know, we are not noticing, but there is this culture, more like awareness towards uh, environmental issues in general, like everywhere, you know, we know this HES demonstration, you know, hydroelectric uh, central dam, um, you know, the, the dam projects, um, uh, they are trying to build this everywhere, and then there's people are resisting. And then recently there was a you know rap, you know uh, rap song made by this like villagers, like village ladies, like you know it was so funny. Old ladies, they were you know uh, they uh, singing this rap song, and then they they were trying to increase the awareness, and and it's everywhere. Like it's in Kurdistan, and uh, it is in. Uh, 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 Karadeniz or the Black Sea or the like western part of Turkey. I think this is also a very important reason. Um, um, in terms of this, um, like, is, is it possible to I don't know establish a party and then I don't know get rid of the uh, AKP's government? I don't think the AKP governments will lose so much power because of these events. I don't think so. Okay, they will lose the uh, the support of the liberals. I mean, Yetmez or Evit population. They will lose their support for for sure. But I don't think so. They will lose so much uh, 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 worth uh, as a result of this. The reason, from my point of view, the you know the. The AKP is, in a way, is using the Kemalist or the, you know, the status quo language, which we are quite accustomed, actually, in the country. The, what they are doing is, like, is, is, it's really embedded in the Turkish politics. They create this fear, huh? enemy, external enemy, internal enemies, and then their politics is completely based on these enemies. And what AKP has done uh, you know, in Gezi Park uh, uh, incidents as well. They created the enemy, like external enemies, like oh, international conspiracy. And this was actually the language was used by the Kemalists for so long. You know, everybody was em- enemy, of the ter- enemy of Turkey. And they keep using the same thing. And then, uh, uh, and then I think they are quite successful. And also, we have to, I think, we shouldn't be closing our eyes to each other's fears. Like, likes, they are they're quite afraid of, uh, I don't know, Kemal, sorry, uh, the Islamists. Uh, the Kurds are quite afraid of, like, uh, this Kemalists and then the Turkish nationalists. Or there is a distrust, and you're very deeply embedded distrust towards each other in, you know, in, 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 Turkish, in the Turkish society, which we should overcome this fear. And until we overcome, until we, all these parties, they change their... I don't know, discourses, their views about each other, and then address these fears, you know, in a more uh, brave way, like, you know. And I don't think so we can change so much in Turkey, like, okay, AKP will lose a little bit power, but I don't think so they will uh, lose their government. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Aisha to respond to a couple of things, but I just wanted to add something that, that has emerged as a theme across uh, several of the talks and contributions, which is the idea of political effervescence, which leads to um, a situation where you know, there, there, there might be the unanimity of the deed, 
but not necessarily in terms of the unanimity of politics or of the trajectory of the politics that emerges from those who participate in, in that uh, particular p political formation. And there's a second issue, which is around, do we have adequate political, theoretical vocabularies to describe not just Turkey, but the global events that people have been referring to, and whether we can see them in terms of the kinds of divisions and dichotomies and so forth that people have been describing. Or are we talking about uh, a particular emergence of a liberal enclave or a secularist enclave in certain countries, whether that's the emergence of, of, of a middle class, people have made comparisons between the events in Turkey and the um, pro-democracy demonstrations in Russia and so forth. So can I ask Aisha to pick up on some of this? I'll try to keep it brief. First on the, um, I think a number of questions or responses were about parties, the capacity of existing party structures or what people call democracy to accommodate some of the demands or some of the desires of the movement. So when I was talking about, in response to your comment over there, when I was talking about a desire to act outside of the party structure, what I had in mind was the parliamentary Parties. So on the barricades, you have socialist parties which are not even in the parliament. I, in other words, I'm not talking what I observe is not necessarily against a desire to be organized, politically organized. That's a separate uh, way of posing the question than understanding political organization only in terms of the political parties in the parliament. And the reason I highlight that is because Hakan is not here, but it's rather novel uh, in this mass form. Um, so in response to the question of novelty, I think that's one of the aspects, that's one of the experiences that we have to um, sort of record, I think, or not uh, brush over. The in, uh, so, okay. In terms of Armenians, Greeks, and Jews, uh, I am not aware of uh, uh, these minorities participating as such. Perhaps they have, but I know that many of them have individually participated, but not necessarily carrying a flag saying Jews, you know. Um, in terms of the urban context, in terms of the urban context in Istanbul, of course what we're seeing is a neoliberal transformation of the city, uh, not only in Istanbul but also in Ankara. So you have the appropriation. Some people have used the concept of primitive accumulation to describe what's happening. You have the appropriation of public space for private gain, basically. It's as simple as that. And many people who <laughs> haven't read Marx can understand that because they're losing their public spaces uh, and they're basically revolting against it. Um, in terms of... Um, Brazil, Bulgaria, the global context, absolutely. I personally think that what we are seeing is a part of a global uprising. Unfortunately, we didn't quite have time to bring that aspect out. But it would be very interesting um, to hold perhaps another panel or an informative ses session where people could come and speak so we can sort of speak across our experiences in these different <coughs> uprisings. Uh, Bosnia, Bulgaria, Brazil, um, I don't think, by the way, in Taksim Square, uh, constantly the flag of Brazil is being waved. Uh, so I think many people are in fact aware of each other across the world um, 
doing similar things. So I don't want to take too much time. I'll pass it to Özlem. No, I'll just add to what you said. Uh, today, actually, uh, Boris sent me uh, a, a photograph in addition to a Brazilian flag being waved in Taksim. Uh, they were wearing penguin costumes in Brazil. Um, so there is a kind of solidarity. I'd like to say just very briefly a few things about this legitimacy business. Uh, I thought what's new about this, and then there you are, uh, thought um, one of the things might be new about this is this was so legitimate. I kind of feel different because I was trying to protest on the uh, well, not protest. I was trying to go to Taksim Square on May Day this year. Uh, well, police violently attacked. I became trapped in a war zone, honestly. Um, the only reason, well, they didn't even let us cross the street, forget going to Taksim. We were in Besiktas, that's where I live. Um, that was legitimate. All I wanted to do is go to Taksim Square on that day, which is a significant place. It was so legitimate for people literally begging the government not to demolish this Emek cinema, historic place. That was legitimate. They were gassed and water cannoned. Um, these, there were so many legitimate um, um, protests and demands before Gezi Park incident. People wanting to protest... I live in Besiktas. I have to go to Taksim Square often. Um, and I have seen, since the beginning of May, um, the days that uh, people of Besiktas and Taksim, at some point during the day, the days they haven't experienced pepper gas is, I think, less than the days they have. This is, it's, it's outrageous. So this, I think legitimacy business, at least for me, is not new. I can't, I can't possibly talk about um, talk in the name of everyone. I can't generalize, but I know for me, I know, I know myself and I know people around me. Um, and I know because I've been talking to people at Gezi. I've, I spent the uh, last 10 days of that kind of communal life. I've, I've spent those days in the Gezi Park. I was going there early in the morning and not leaving until late at night. And I know what the difference for me is that I, for the first time, I've imagined what it is to be, you know how Benedict Anderson talks about imagined community? For the first time, I experienced the opposite. Uh, having a kind of contact with people that forming that community, for me, that was new. Um, I'm not even talking about the solidarity business because it kind of, against uh, when somebody, a force, police in that case, attacks you, you kind of form a solidarity. But um, in addition to that, that kind of um, contact uh, having contact with people, that was new for me. And also having students there on the ground, uh, camping, having tents, and ha knowing them in class and how they respond to political issues, seeing this enormous change in the space of two weeks, it was amazing. Just one example, th those very students um, taking one of my classes, and we were talking about one specific film, uh, Mindit, um, I saw in English, a Kurdish film. They didn't see the film. I was surprised. And then I talked about 90s, um, people being killed, um, you know, the, the Kurdish issue. They had no idea. And I thought they had honestly blank screen when I talked about this. And I, I was surprised. How, how is it possible? 
Um, and how is it possible, my question, how is it possible for those people to become so politically involved in the space of two weeks and with their bodies um, actually resisting? Because just one last thing about this body business. Um, for the entire period, I felt like, uh, when I was in the park, um, I felt like, this is ridiculous. I am sitting here in the park and I am afraid. I'm literally so afraid that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm saying we overcome fear. But yeah, just inside you feel really uh, scared that you really might die. This is ridiculous. Sitting in a park and thinking you might die, it's ridiculous. And I've experienced everyone around me, not me, everybody felt that way. There were few courageous people kind of going around with music and trying to relax people, but we were all very scared that we might get hit by a gas canister or, or, or pepper, um, sorry, plastic uh, bullets. So, yeah, I said last thing, but about minorities, I agree with Aicha. I know people who didn't take part in it, and I know people belonging to minority groups who were very open and, and articulate about this, but one of the reasons um, minority organizations might kind of uh, keep a low profile is that whenever something like this happens, first, first thing we hear about this agents, foreign agents, then it kind of lands on the minorities. You know, it's kind of started, they start talking about it, Armenians kind of organizing. This is, yeah, it might sound funny, but it becomes part of Turkish reality. So that, that's probably the reason why they kept a low profile, which I understand. May I add something on this? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the, um, I mean, um, Nor Zartonk was there. Let's not forget that. Um, uh, the Armenian organization, um, uh, Nor Zartonk, uh, was um, actually taught us that uh, Gezi Park was actually an Armenian cemetery. Uh, before it was transformed first into a um, sort of um, barracks and then into a park. And how did we know that? It was because they were present with all their flags and everything, right? Very visible in the middle of the park with a symbolic graveyard um, on the ground uh, reclaiming the memory of um, the lost cemetery. What and Agos, Agos, the Armenian newspaper... Uh, was did wonders. It was one of the papers that I followed on Twitter. It was very, very, very active in the um, in the protests in Istanbul. Sorry. Um, so, so like, let's correct that. I mean, there were. Yeah. Thank uh, you. I just want to say something about this legitimacy. I mean, uh, I, I agree with you. You know, you know, before obviously, you know, there was. I mean. We, there's always like some demonstration in Turkey and uh, different groups, they, I don't know, support these demonstrations. I mean, you can name, I don't know, the headscarf ladies that they demonstrated in Turkey or the trade unionists and that they all had you know, a certain type of legitimacy. But uh, none of them had this kind of uh, support from the different parts of the society and from the, you know, the different... Uh, uh, parts of political spectrum. But, I mean, from my point of view, when I say legitimacy, I, I don't. I, I'm not undermining. You know, the others didn't have any legitimacy. But what I'm trying to say is that it touched everybody's 
conscious for some reason. And then this created some kind of legitimacy. That's why, like, you know, the, uh, even the uh, Islamists, some, you know, AKP supporters, they came on the Gezi and then they said, oh, you know, we, here is our spurt and we are spotting this movement. Because, you know, none of, you know, the, the movement itself wasn't political. I mean, in the uh, May Day example, okay, even the trade unionists, not all trade unionists, try to, I don't know, go to get, uh, you know, May Day. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, you know, they weren't sharing the same legitimacy as you were perhaps, like, uh, supporting or, like, trying to, I mean, you were feeling. Just a very quick comment uh, about the possibilities of the kind of mobilization we saw in Gezi. Many people learned that Gezi Park was a former Armenian a cemetery through this act. Yeah. So that's the kind of possibility that the possibility of cooperation, possibility of cross-fertilization, the possibility of engagement that I think is very, very um, hope-giving about the whole situation. Can I add one more factual information? <laughs> the uh, park, um, this I is okay, the park um, um, Archer talked about, Abbasar Park, one of the um, biggest public forums is taking place. That's also a park um, built on um, um, a cemetery that uh, belonged to minorities in Turkey, just a fact of Okay, I really do want to take some more contributions from the audience. There's a woman at the back who's been holding her hand up, uh, and it would be helpful if you could... We've got a very little amount of time, but I would like to get as many contributions as possible. So. Fatma Can. I am a political refugee from 1980 military coups of Turkey. Of course, we never lived a democracy ever in Turkey, and I don't think until Turkish society becomes upside down, then maybe there's a hope we will live in real democracy. So on the why the 50% of the society is voting to AK Party, and they are still, as the uh, lady over there said, even if they go to uh, ballot box today, they're going to win again. The reason for that is, as you know, the economy in Europe is shrinking, whereas in Turkey, economy is growing 8%. So where is this growing is going? The growth in the economy is only going to AK Party and, and it's supporter. So the people within Turkish society now have a job, have a house, and have, they can look after themselves and their family. Why? Because they are the potential voter of the AK Party. So this is the, why the people now is coming out of the, with the masses. Because in the, in the old time, like when I was in Turkey, the only political people were coming and uprising and saying this society is not going to you know, have ever democracy. But now, what's happening now, AK Party is actually taking the people's bread from their mouth. Okay, Either you are you. my side or you, you, are my you are on the opposite side. That's the society is divided into that. Okay. Therefore, people are fighting for their freedom as well as their you know, financial well-being. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there's uh, quite a number of hands. Uh, could, could I have this person first and then... 
gentleman at the back. Okay, both of you, quickly. Okay, my, uh, well, my name is Jehan Tukdolo. I just want to uh, add a few things on the um, minority question. Uh, part of the reason the minority, uh, well, support from the minorities has been uh, relatively uh, subtle uh, was not only because they're afraid, but because um, uh, AKP has been following um, divide uh, tactics among them in a sense like uh, um, raising of expectations like they have done with the Kurds which are actually another minority like speaking of minorities but um, like within the Greek community you know uh, there was a talk of uh, demolishing shops in front of uh, Ayatriada uh, to bring it more to the front uh, and the mosque being more uh, to be uh, built mosque being prominent there that caused the rift within the community because that is a vital source of income actually for the community so um, and also there are expectations from the AKP government that might not otherwise be uh, filled and also we should um, Speaking of minorities, uh, the LGBT community has been very active also. We shouldn't forget that um, uh, either. There are vested interests that are uh, somewhat overlooked. I just wanted to mention that. And on the uh, economic side of it, um, I mean, I know it's quite different, uh, uh, jumping from one topic to the other, but um, while the economy has not really been growing as uh, spectacularly as uh, AKP would like it to most uh, likely, most probably but um, it is accompanied by a decline in the Gini index or the uh, disparity so this is increasing its effect. I just want to ask a very small question um, okay, all this is going on and it's uh, w we want to be hopeful and there are uh, reasons to be hopeful but um, uh, does the message really go across to the uh, wider segments of the population or is the media blackout and the um, denial campaigns are ever more effective in so, so that I mean new uh, groups are actually created rather than uh, and uh, consolidations within the groups are happening rather than um, you know um, a wide uh, based opposition <coughs> area. Okay and if you'd like to go yeah thanks. okay uh, no, she is <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Denis, Istanbul Fatih University and Leeds University. Uh, I have a short comment and a question. Uh, first of all, uh, I individually support the Gezi demonstrations or really the all movements against the uh, Tayyip Erdogan authoritarian regime and his uh, policy against the people in Turkey. But we have to be realistic a bit. You know, the people on street in Istanbul uh, are quite various among themselves. M uh, more than half of them are voters of the, the dem uh, Demo not Democratic, only the Republican People Party. Uh, some of them are the socialist leftists, and a small groups are the anti-capitalist Muslims. Uh, all these groups' political demands are quite different from each other, and their stance uh, towards the solution of the Kurdish issue also quite different. If the reality is that why Kurds should support these demonstrations because we know that uh, half of these protesters are opposing the, uh, <coughs> the solution process between the PKK and the state. They okay, we've only, got a, we've only got a very few minutes left, so can I... Uh, can yeah.
Okay. Yeah. Could, I, could I ask the? Could I? Could I ask course, the? Uh, yeah. Sorry. The people, the people now they are pro, 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 half of the protesters are also opposing the peace process between the PKK and the state. Do you know uh, the JHP voters mainly? I don't talk about the Alawis. And individually, I support. Even I was. Uh, I participated in this uh, demonstration in in Istanbul. Okay, can, can, we, people, can we, yeah, can we, yeah, uh, we, we, we people, are really yeah, running out of time. If the people oppose so, yeah. the political demands of the Kurds, why Kurds should collectively attend these demonstrations? If the paper gets only the common points between the Kurds and Turks, is it, it, it really can be a well, common point? Learning. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you very much. And, uh, and we're learning about each other through this. Thank you, and there's a, there's a lady... I'm just discussing the political participation of the Kurds. When you, no, when you question the Kurds, you have to be realistic. You have to understand why Kurds during the first day of the demonstration didn't join these demonstrations. We have to understand them. No, if you don't understand them, do you know, it's really going to be meaningless. Okay, can I, can I just uh, ask you if, if you could just, uh, please everyone, uh, suddenly the discussion has turned into a, the public forum that should have happened.